Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news, tips, and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who have made this podcast possible. Of course, they're makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the oh-so-incredible custom stable scleral lens. In case you're wondering, I'm on the East Coast and I'm Dr. James Diem, and I'm joined by my uber-talented co-host who is repping the West Coast, Dr. Roya Habibi. Roya, what is up? Hey, folks. What's up? It's a good month. We had a solidly scary, spooky AF month. I can't believe spooky it. Spooky AF? Yeah. Ooh. Did there. Went there. I mean, it's scary. You and did. you guys are going to be really spooked after today. <laughs> yeah. Scared. Straight up scared. Scared. But before we go there, we have a pretty cool extra special guest that everyone ought to get hyped about. Um, should we just go straight into it? Yeah, she was knocking on the door, begging to get in. No, wants a piece of this podcast action. <laughs> so let's let's let let's give her a piece. Let's do it. We have Trudy with us. Trudy, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah, well, let's be honest. Uh, you heard about how amazing this podcast is, and you wanted to be a part of it. I did. I did. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did. I actually heard a lot about it from Dr. Tanya Gill. She's a she's a big fan of it. Okay. Whoop whoop. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I was going to ask how how you heard about us, and and so that's how it is. The social media media guru of of optometry. Yeah, she's one of our speakers at our upcoming event. She's amazing. Okay. Well, well, that's a nice segue, actually. So so why? Who are you? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Um, well, for, first and foremost, I'm, I'm, I'm an eye care person like everybody else. I've, okay. been, I've been in the eye care industry for a long time. We won't even get into how many years, but a long time. And, um, for the last 10 years, I've owned a training and consulting business working with independent optometrists and helping them grow their businesses. And about four years ago, I saw a huge opportunity in the industry to start a really different kind of marketing agency. So we started marketing for ECPs, which really focuses on building a unique marketing program that really helps optometrists compete, you know, against big mass merchant merchandising marketing and shows them how to really leverage digital marketing. So that's what okay. that's what I'm doing these days, and um, and segue into the event we're putting on is we wanted to take all the learnings that we teach people every day and put it into an actual conference. So we are hosting the very first marketing and technology conference in eye care, and it's called first IMA. annual first. It is Love the it. first one, yeah. And uh, it's it's November 6th in Los Angeles, California. So uh, never a bad thing to be in L.A. in November. It's uh, a little Absolutely. warmer than most other places. And, uh, yeah, we have a stellar lineup, awesome lineup of uh, pretty amazing speakers. I've been talking to Jimmy about this ever since we learned about it with Dr. Gill. Uh, I actually bought tickets. I'm super excited to come. I think it's oh, kind of that's so fun. Yeah, I'm. I think it's super unique how 
you have, I mean, something just different, right? And actually, I was looking on your website, and one of your your corporate statement is that you exist to help eye care professionals succeed in today's new reality. And I think that's so perfect because so often in optometry schools, we're learning business tips and not to say not to discredit them i mean they put a lot of work into that but i feel that it's not exactly the new reality and then we get out here and we're using old old methods to to try and market to try and collect payments recruit for jobs i mean try and doing all these business things that we just don't really know how to do well yeah, it's so true. And, you know, the with the power of digital marketing these days and the technology that's out there to run your practices more efficiently, um, you can see huge returns by investing in some of these platforms. And we have speakers at this event that are literally going to help people take home immediate action plans that they can they can show changes in their practice right away. I love that. Listen, Trudy, that that is awesome, and and uh, you know definitely encourage all of our listeners to you know go to your website. You have a, a website, I'd imagine, as a social media marketing or and digital marketing uh, company. You got a really great website. Yes, um, for our marketing website, it's marketingforecps.com. and for the conference website, it's iinnovate2018.com. Awesome. You know, and, and so what, what I'd really like to do is uh, try and, and uh, rendezvous after this meeting, you know, get together and uh, Roy and I, you know, put our heads together and see, you know, what were some key takeaways that we got out of it. And, and maybe we could chat with you a little bit about what we learned and hopefully share with our listeners. We did a whole month on, on media and marketing. And I know Roy and I just learned a ton from Dr. Gill. We spoke to several other you know, really savvy marketing uh, individuals and just learned a lot. But um, there's just so much more. And uh, it is a very daunting field for uh, docs and opticians and, you know, all of us because it's, it's really not our specialty. And it's a constantly evolving field, too. So definitely, uh, you know, if this is a, something you guys are interested in, check this out. I Innovate uh, looks to be a really awesome meeting. And uh, we definitely encourage, um, you know, all of you to, to check it out and if you're able to get to Los Angeles and and hit this meeting up. One one other thing I want to um just ask Trudy cuz you know we we love to get information out but we also like to have some fun. I hear some Canadian bacon in your tone. <laughs> what? Did I say A? <laughs> I don't think I said A. <laughs> yes. I I just I'm getting a I'm getting a Canadian bacon vibe. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I, you know, I'm cool with that. I but uh, so you are a, a friendly I, neighbor to the north. I am a Canadian. I'm I'm sitting in a hotel room in Calgary right now. But yes, I'm a Canadian. That's fantastic. We love our Canadian friends. I totally agree. Second that. But Trudy, <laughs> I I learned that you're you were a licensed optician before you started this. And yeah, what inspired you to make this switch from kind of like, you know, a lot of optical work, of course, is helping patients and uh, like patient forward retail focus, that sort of thing. But what made you switch to kind of you got your uh, human resource management certificate and go into this more management, staff development, media, social media 
uh, gear. What made you switch that? Yeah, that's a it's a great question. I started my career quite a few years ago in retail optical, and I worked for a large chain. Um, and during that time, they actually took me out of the day to day practices. I went back to university, took HR, and I started um, the human resources division of this chain and focusing on training and development of all of their managers and their their opticians. Um, that chain sold, and it sold to Lexotica, and hence Pearl Visions were born in Canada. Um, and I actually decided to go into sales. So I worked for B&L for a few years. I worked for Optos for a year. And then, and then I decided to, to start my own training and consulting business. I was missing my training background, and I love to help businesses understand how they could grow with the power of training, and especially training their staff. And so that's what I really focused on for the first few years of my business. But now I'm all about the marketing. Um, I still do a lot of training and I do a lot of speaking all over the place, but I really see such, you know, opportunity with helping optometrists discover what they can do with marketing right now. You know, a lot of people are doom and gloom with, with eye care, right? You go on to a lot of the message boards and things out there and, and everybody's like, yo, the markets are changing and shifting and, you know, it's harder to, you know, earn a living anymore. Uh, what do you say to that? Oh, I think that is total doom and gloom. I'm the total <laughs> opposite, but I think I'm a, I'm such an optimistic person to begin with, but I say there's so Glass much opportunity in eye care. Yes. There's so much opportunity in eye care. I've seen so many changes in the industry over the years. And every time I saw something, people were like, oh, that's, you know, that's the end of eye care. That's the end of optometry. And you know what? There, there are some disruptions and there are some changes right now, but it, to me, only leads us to the fact that we have to get better at what we're doing. Um, we can't just sit on our laurels anymore. We have to get innovative. We have to disrupt. And a practice can disrupt. They just have to work at it. Love that. What is one low-hanging fruit pearl that you just like love introducing the idea to doctors looking for marketing tips? Oh, well, my favorite, my absolute favorite yes. tip when it comes to marketing. And this always scares people, but I always say, you have to spend more money than you're spending. Yeah. Yeah. Almost every, almost every optometrist I have met, honestly, like, um, 97% of optometrists I talk to don't spend enough money on marketing. I believe that. Everyone's super conservative. Who wants to spend money to make money? <laughs> you know what? They don't see it as, as an investment. They see it as an expense. They aren't tracking what they're doing. So they don't see the, the ROI. If they're doing the right thing and if they're spending the right money and if they're tracking it, they will show that, you know, spend a dollar, get three, spend a dollar, get five if they're doing it right. And, you know, I see people spending a dollar getting 10 back. So the ones who do it right and the ones who are doing the digital marketing that needs to get done today to compete, they're seeing 10 times return. That's awesome. Well, Trudy, cool. thank you so, so much for chatting with us. Um, Trudy, for our listeners, has an extra special offer that I'd love for her to explain for everyone. 
that yes yes go for it listen we really want people to come to our conference and we're really excited about the speakers like we have google as our opening speaker we have yelp as our after lunch speaker we have randy jackson as our closing speaker and he's going to talk he's going to talk about building a brand so like you can't miss what up dog (laughs) (laughs) i know i know and uh you know, we want people to come. We have a few seats left. We have like over 300 people registered. This is our first year. It's so exciting. It's awesome. Um, but listen, for your listeners, if you guys want to attend, we're offering free tickets. So like, we're Ooh. not just offering free tickets to everyone. So we want to, we want to fill this place. So we're offering free tickets. If you go to iinnovate2018.com, and use the code free promo. That's F R E E P R O M O. Free promo. You, it'll reduce the cost to zero. You can attend for nothing. Wow! Awesome. I mean, that's that's a it's a several hundred dollar savings. That's a huge thing. That's awesome. And yes. FYI, for those interested, there is a very quick direct flight from San Antonio or from LAX to San Antonio that I am taking. To be able to book it to Academy right after. You're already taking the time off. Why not just make it a day? Yeah. It is a good <laughs> it's a it's actually really, really perfect timing. Yeah, yeah it's people. the day before the one in Texas. So you can yep. do both. Come to both. Awesome. Thank you, Trudy, for joining us. Thank you so much, you guys. Appreciate it. Our pleasure. Well, that was a great little interview and uh awesome that you know people are hearing this podcast and realizing you know the 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 uh benefit of it and and uh wanting to get get their message out with us so uh if if you're out there and uh, you're hearing our podcast and you'd like to get your message out uh, shoot us a line facebook message us email us uh get in touch with one of us we we'd love to help get your message out and help uh, our listeners become more informed about all sorts of different things going on and in that vein uh academy is like right around the corner american yep. academy of optometry this is one of my favorite meetings what do you think raya i feel like i always learn the most all the best people are there it's good what can you say it's going to be in San Antonio this year, which I'm pretty pumped about. I've never been. Always like a good excuse to check a new state or city off the list. Yeah. River walking. Yep. And obviously, Try Not to Blink is going to have a special debut. We're going to have a booth. So please don't make us go sit around by ourselves yeah, talking with headphones on. Won't be happy about that. I mean, let's be honest. We're gonna have a booth. It's gonna be. It's gonna be kick ass. I mean, it's there's gonna be, gonna be a lot of fun. I mean, it's basically just nonstop fun. Cool swag, uh, fun games. Yeah. Um, one very extra. I mean, I feel like they deserve to hear the surprise about one of the games, or at least a couple okay. of them. But all right, yeah, um, let's, let's who's smarter teaser. than a first year? Who's smarter Ooh. than a first year? Yeah. Are you smarter Co- than a first year? Are you smarter than a first year? And if you'd like yeah. to say that you are, prove it. Prove it. Put your prove it. Lens cross where your mouth is. You know? <laughs> yeah. We will real. also be signing cover paddles, so feel free to grab one in the yep. exhibit hall and bring it our way because we'll be doing yep. it. That's right. Yep, for free. We'll be. Yeah, yeah. You can, <laughs> you know, sit next to us with our 
amazing microphones and it'll be fun we're gonna have a good time guys and, <laughs> and uh hopefully you know we get some great audio and uh some video too so seriously stop by uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say about the podcast and, and maybe we could do you know a little sound bite here and there with you so don't miss us at academy we'll be on the exhibit floor and of course valley contacts will have a, a amazing booth there as well and they're always doing a lot of fun things uh, the, um, CS cup where, you know, you can look at a lens on somebody's eye and evaluate the vault with an OCT. They're, they're always having a blast too. So, uh, they're not going to be in the same booth. They're going to have their own booth, but definitely want to check both out. Our main supporters. But anyway, October is coming to a quick end as is 2018, which is a whole nother topic, but That's we've crazy. had a pretty crazy month. So crazy, scary. First, we started with our spooky cases. Then we had a pretty rad discussion on weed and the eye. Um, obviously, we talked about getting audited, which is terrifying. And then we had our awesome ER cast, which hopefully you all checked out. But today, we have a solidly terrifying comment. What we deem, I fear, spelled E-Y-E, I fear getting sued. Whew. <laughs> Whew. Don't want to do that. I mean, get ready. Get ready to blow your socks off. But Palms are sweating. Before we go over there, let's talk about some eye news. Let's do it. I heard a pretty... I mean, it feels like I had to share this because it's kind of a scary story, I guess, but also funny. Um, a This was a family in uh, South Carolina, actually. A 52-year-old woman, Lana Creighton, Oh, excuse me, Clayton confessed to investigators for killing her husband oh with Visine. Yes. She murdered her husband by killing him by putting drops of Visine in his water for several days. How did they find this out? The autopsy uncovered high amounts of tetrahydrazoline in her, his body. Unbelievable. Ooh. Yep. I didn't know this was a thing. I mean, I knew I didn't like Visine, but now I really don't like Visine. <laughs> and now you're terrified of it. Yeah. I know. We all saw the scene in The Wedding Crashers where the guy, like, basically shit his brains out from getting Visine put in his drink. But <laughs> actually, that is totally wrong. Because why do I know this? I just got curious and thought, like, why would Visine kill you? It is actually a sympathomimetic. Okay. Obviously, so it narrows the blood vessels. We know that, obviously, in the eye. Sure. There's a range of mild, moderate to severe toxicity. Mild to moderate toxicity, uh, oral toxicity, obviously, or body toxicity, would include tachycardia, agitation, pallor, uh, ataxia. And Yikes. severe can actually include coma, hypotension, hypertension, confusing, I know, uh, bradycardia. <laughs> Pick one. <laughs> respiratory depression, Apnea, hypothermia, uh, hypoflexia, and huh. obviously death. So uh, they, they said that a severe overdose can lead to a CNS depression, essentially causing you to lose airway reflexes and, um, I guess, essentially like you lack oxygen and die. Ooh. <laughs> Yo. That doesn't sound good. My God. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm I just shocked. I mean, uh, listen, no visine. No visine for your patients. You know, I've, I've not heard of anybody dying from Lumify. So 
I'm sticking with Lumify for now or making my own stuff. Sometimes I'll make my own stuff. Um, But, yeah, that's uh, sticking with Lumify. Cool. All right, good. Well, that's our hashtag iNews. Yes. Nice. So let's jump into our cell pod, our scleral lens pearl of the day. And, uh, you know, I was I was thinking about, you know, different little trip tricks and tips we could do. And just thinking about, you know, different modifications you can do. And, and we're going to definitely, you know, hit on some of those things as we move forward. But, you know, I feel like patient types are, are something that, you know, help new practitioners get more experience. You know, um, I'll often hear docs say, uh, well, I just don't have that many keratocones or I just don't see that many transplants. It's just not something that I do a lot of. So, you know, to get more experience with scleral lenses, you, you should think outside the box. And the bottom line is because of how versatile the lens is, there's many more patients that could benefit from scleral lenses than just irregular corneas. So one very interesting group of uh, patients are patients with nystagmus. Um, Have you had any nystagmus patients? Uh, I have actually. Um, Okay. Primary, like nystagmus wasn't the primary reason I treated them, but they, anyone who has even a little bit of nystagmus, it tends to be muted with a scleral lens. And that's not me saying anything from any sort of scientifically backed data but um i think it's a lens you know i don't i i usually don't use scientific data when i talk so (laughs) no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding there there is i did look look uh into this there there is very little evidence there's like case um series uh out there and and just this kind of hit me today because i have three active patients like right now that i'm doing and my intern who's with me is like what is going on what the (laughs) f why why do i have all these nystagmus patients um but it's interesting because they are all high sill um and they see 2100 2200 uncorrected they don't really notice any improvement with glasses uh one has uh macular hypoplasia one has rp um and the other one is just a congenital um type of nystagmus and and so we've fit them all and they're all doing a little better you know they're all doing a little better it it does it nullifies the the nystagmus a little bit uh it's not totally gone and improves their vision a couple lines you know so it's it's really about coaching them but but the point of what i wanted to say with this cell pod um is think outside the box and think about nystagmus patients they're good uh potential uh patient type Number one. And number two, little known fact, a lot of vision plans actually include nystagmus as a covered medically necessary benefit. So yep. just like keratoconus, just like uh, transplants, those are, again, the people think uh, what everybody thinks of when they think about scleral lenses and medically necessary indications. Well, nystagmus is nine times out of 10 also a medically necessary covered benefit. So it's uh, it's one you definitely want to think about and your patient's going to be really happy with you too. So that's our hashtag cell pod of the day. Yeah. Yeah. One other tip I ha- I should mention is yeah. people who do have nystagmus, soft lenses sometimes move too much or, or are too tight. And the cool thing about a scleral lens is you obviously the shape is defined and the custom stable is quote unquote stable, but right. real scleral Absolutely lenses are is. stable on the eye. So it's not going to move as much. And they do tend to actually get a little bit better vision, at least subjectively from them. Right. Um, so the patients that I have with that do feel an improvement and notice a little bit less of the eye shakes. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm totally backing that one up. 
Cool. All right. Very good. So it's it's October. And uh, what's what uh, what do you got going on in the next couple of weeks here? You're you got something we have going on? Two days until Halloween, actually. Oh my god, Halloween! It's like around the corner. I know. I'm gonna put up. We have to post some of these pictures. We have these great pictures of oh, that's awesome. us as kids in Halloween costumes. Do you have I a favorite costume you were as even a child, or perhaps as an adult? It could be either. You know, I I wasn't really like crazy Halloween costume kid. Um, they were usually homemade. I remember one where like there my my mom just you know we had like this big brown bag and they made a face on it so it was like this big face (laughs) (laughs) it was like goofy but it was cute you know and it was a good one um but uh yeah and then more recently my my wife jill um has been really good with doing you know like couple outfits and so more recently we were uh the scandal couple. Like I was the president guy and she was the, you know, the woman from scandal. Do you ever watch that? Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. I forget her name, but, uh, so that was a good one. And this year, this year we're going to be, um, our kids, our daughter's going to be Minnie. Our son is going to be Mickey. And I think we're going to be Donald. And, um, I don't know what the, uh, Donald. Ivanka. no, not no, not Donald and Ivanka. <laughs> no, Don, Donald the Duck. <laughs> Donald the Duck. Uh, Donald, Donald the Duck, and um, <laughs> not the Donald. Um, <laughs> Donald the Duck, and uh, she's gonna be Daisy. That's it. There you go. So, oh, good, perfect yeah, family Di- outfit. Disney family, yeah. So, well, what about you? For me, I mean. In the past, I used to couple it up, except me and my dog. So I was like a fisherman, and my dog was a lobster one year. That was a good oh, one. Oh, nice. Um, last This year, I'm actually going to a little Halloween thing, and I'm going to be a LaCroix bottle. Oh, huh. cool. Nice. But probably some of my best ones in the past. I mean, my mom also used to make our outfits, and I was a yeah. great Jasmine. That's the picture I'll post up oh, for everyone. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was Me and my brother, one. Jasmine and Aladdin. We just killed it. So nice. that was great. I know. But this year, like I said, I'm going to be – I'm was. i trying to convince Patrick. He's tall and skinny, so I want him to be the straw for me, you know, because I'm LaCroix. Oh. <laughs> <Should be sure. laughs> I feel like you could do a lot with that, but hes I don't know if he's feeling it, so I'm working on that one. Nice. I think that's a home run for sure. Right? I mean, it feels perfect, but we'll see. Now, we'll did see you see. actually trick or treat when you were a child? Like, did you guys Absolutely. go do the whole thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Do yeah, you have you a favorite it. candy? Other than, no. like, the extra large bars? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, whenever you went to, the, like, the rich house, you know, you got <laughs> big bars and maybe maybe even a drink. Yes. Um, that was really something special. But... um. You know, I'm I'm a, a gummy slash sour guy. So yes. any sweet tarts, gummy bears, gummy worms, and all, the ultimate, I guess, for me is uh, sour gummy worms. They're the Ooh, best. Oh yes, that's, a, that's a hit in our family too. Yeah, they're really good. Oh yeah, yep. Uh, we're a big sour patch family, personally, Ooh, yeah. but sour the better. I'm sure we'll have some candy at our booth, right? At, at the booth Fact. at Academy. So yeah. That has to be it. That, that'll be there one for sure. Come by Perfect. and we'll have maybe like sour competitions, perhaps. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Uh, Good stuff. All right. No, I, let's. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, 
I say we transition into the hot topic yeah. about getting sued. Is it uh, hot or is it cold or is it just terrifying? Maybe hot is like red hot. Hot because it makes anyways. you like sweat. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you're right. Anyway, so I pulled a couple of different facts that I'd like to start us off by sharing. Um, in 2015, the mal- uh, there was a malpractice report saying that the top three reasons why a lawsuit comes against a medical profession is three reasons. One, failure to diagnose. Two, a patient suffered an abnormal injury. And three, failure to treat. The interesting part that I thought was worth noting, at least as like a very small thing to make everyone rest a little easier, is that only 20% of lawsuits typically go to trial. And of the lawsuits, 3% verdicts are in the plaintiff's favor. That's not to say go and like get sloppy and don't diagnose things, but a little (laughs) pearl to let you know that oftentimes the settlement's reached before the trial or the case is just overall dismissed. But in the eye world, the top three disorders that are um, make it to court or reasons for getting sued would be failure to diagnose a retinal detachment, failure Ugh. to diagnose glaucoma, and tumors. The runner-ups are choroidal neovascularization or catching proliferative diabetic retinopathy. But you know, I, I want to comment on this. So yes. you know, I find okay, retinal detachment obvious, right? I mean, yes. person's going to go blind if you miss a tear or whatever. Um, yes. Tumors, right? Like tumor, yes, this is yes. something person potentially going to die. Um, choroidal neovascularization, proliferative diabetic retinopathy. Those, yes, have they they have very serious ramifications when not properly you know addressed. Um, glaucoma, I find very interesting and. You know, I think uh, this is something that, you know, it's just very interesting. And I, and I think it, it speaks a little bit, you know, as an optometrist, as, a, as two optometrists here, you know, I find in my experience that ophthalmology is much more aggressive with glaucoma than optometry is. That's just my own observation so far in practice. And I don't know, you know, and maybe it's just my own little sphere that I live in. Um, what do you think about that statement? I would actually almost disagree. And okay. I work in a practice with like 16 ophthalmologists. Right. And I find that I see patients of some of my other comprehensive ophthalmologists see as well. And they'll say things like a larger C to D ratio, um, advise baseline fields, at 35 or they'll pick a year hmm. right versus I see something wrong and I'm like it needs to be done now right. um, I'm I guess it's you know as you practice longer you start realizing someone has a code like glaucoma suspect on their insurance and maybe that in the past especially caused more problems with insurance coverages versus now at least the way that existing conditions and whatnot. exactly yeah. now it's right. not at least not a big deal a Actually, though, I should mention, this is a good time to say this. Um, back in 1974, there were a couple cases that I'm going to scatter in tonight that changed the standard of care in eye care. And there was a case in 1974, Helling versus Carey, that actually a young female contact lens p- patient sued her ophthalmologist for missing glaucoma over a 10-year period. Uh, and essentially, the defendant ophthalmologist testified that the standard of care at that time, so this is in 1974, obviously prior because that's when the case was, was that you didn't need to perform tonometry on patients 
under 35. Hmm. The patient was actually with him from 23 to 33. And that's that case, which went all the way up to the Supreme Court of Washington State, conveniently, because obviously Washington's right. Um, The judge instructed the jury to disregard the standard of care for this test and that they could have prevented this this disease of blindness. Hmm. Yeah. So that, in in effect, created this new standard of now doing tonometry on every patient regardless of age. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I think I think that the glaucoma thing is just it's interesting. And and, yeah. And it's interesting to hear you say no it's opposite where i'm at and what i observe is totally different you know and i think it i guess it probably doesn't matter if it's optometrist or ophthalmologist i just think there's such a wide swath of comfort and you know when you treat when you don't and um it's a tough one glaucoma is a tough one and i think you know when you have you know somebody who may be litigious and you know depending on and here's the other thing who does the patient where do they get the idea to do it in the first place you know so do they go to another to sue you you know so do they they must go to another doctor who says what idiot were you seeing before you know right or just like you have very progressed glaucoma you do a visual field with a new doctor and have a a huge visual field defect that's glaucomatous perhaps right I actually had a patient recently. He was probably 60-something, came in just wanting contact lenses. He was new to us. He said that he'd been seeing a local doctor for years and never had a problem. And he's got huge, like, 0.85 C to D ratio in both eyes and, like, basically moderate glaucoma. And obviously, he thought he was coming in for a quick appointment. I made him go through a lot more. And then in the end, luckily, he was thankful that I did that. And it was kind of an awkward thing, you know. When I looked at him, the second you look at a certain nerve like that, you're like, oh, gosh, you get that pit in your stomach because you know you're going to have to have that conversation. But I did not, obviously, throw my fellow doctor under the bus. I mean, there are certain things that maybe you just kind of overlook. But I think we all... There's such a fine line on saying something poorly about another doctor. So I I really don't like to do that. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think it gets you anywhere. You know, I think you you, like first and foremost, you take care of the patient. You do no harm. And, uh, you know, you take care of the problem in front of you, you know, and and the fact of the matter is you just probably don't know. You know, you don't know what was said, what was done, what was, you know, it's just it's total, you know, uh, it's just a total hypothesis. You don't know, you know, if exactly. that doctor said something and the patient didn't listen. And, you know, I, I and I'm not casting doubt on the patient always and that the doctor's always right, because certainly we know that's not true. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just for me, you know, if I see something and I say to myself, boy, this should have been addressed earlier. That's not something that needs to be, you know, harped on. You know, it oh, just isn't. Not. Let's let's take care of the let's take care of the problem. Let's take and if the exactly. patient asks, I'll be forward. I'll be honest with them. You know, maybe you know. I hope if I would have seen you previously that I would have caught it, but I just don't know. You know, I can't exactly. Say. And it's you know we all know, especially glaucoma in particular. It's a it's a fine line. I mean, someone might have point two cups and have glaucoma. Someone might. I, I saw a girl today. She's got like point seven cups with laminar pores showing and I did an OCT on her obviously she's new to me um OCT is beautiful super thick 
uh, global numbers for her RNFL. So I'm not worried about that. But yeah. of course, I'll monitor in the future. So, it, you know, it's a fine line of what people think. Like somebody young. Yeah, she maybe she has a large nerve. It's probably built that way. Right. Maybe he just breezed it off. But so top 10 mistakes that can land an Odeant court. So this is what I should not do. I'm going to rank the I actually I got help off of I believe it was um, a review of optometry okay. or it was an optometric management issue. But I thought it was super helpful. So I kind of guided a little of this conversation. But he ranked cool. it from list of importance. OK, what do you think the number one mistake is made that causes optometrists to go to court? Uh, I mean, just not doing a full exam, you know, like just cutting corners. That's cutting what corners. I would say. Yeah. I mean, cutting corners. basically that number one thing that you could do to avoid dial or to, oh, dang, I just totally blew it <laughs> to avoid landing <laughs> in court. <laughs> My build up crash. 90% of cases against ODs allege the misdiagnosis of intraocular disease involve failure to dilate the pupil. Uh-huh. Not 90%. looking at all the way back there. Okay. 90%. I mean, obviously, huh? glaucoma, retinal detachment, tumors, boom. If you That's, dilate, yeah. you're going to have a much higher chance you of doing that. You see that stuff. Exactly. Hmm. I mean, nowadays, dilating, I feel like a lot of... I hear a lot of optometrists saying they don't dilate very regularly anymore. And yeah. I'm not, that's such a poor, poor generalization. But yeah. now we have we have our Optos, which is amazing. Um, but we all know the Optos doesn't cover everything, particularly superiorly and inferiorly. But right. it's great. And obviously we love a photo that can document what the retina shows. But... That is not standard of care. And if somebody it's not gonna has hold a up problem, in court. Exactly. You need That's to That's the dilate. bottom line. Exactly. General recommendation. First exam a patient has with you, you should dilate. Not only because you should, but because insurance requires it for a new exam. Unless well documented. You're gonna get sued if you don't. Period. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you should. But you should. Yeah, I mean People argue sometimes, oh, you don't need to. The risk is so low that you don't. But it just seems like such an easy thing to do. It, no yeah. one likes being dilated. And it right. takes us a, maybe a little bit more to do in the exam. Definitely but does. How are you, you going to? You can't. I think doing it, though, it, 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 it gives the respect to the profession in the exam that it deserves. You know, you, you're doing something that can't be duplicated by anything else you know it's a skill it's a it's a you know passion to to look and and really get a good look in the back of the eye um and i think patients really do appreciate it when they see the work that you go to to get a really good look back there um you know we we use optos a lot you know so we don't dilate every single time we see a patient you know especially if we're following them up for glaucoma or some other condition but um we do want to make sure we get one yearly or every other year you know for patients that are low risk but um it's important and i think you, you know educating them is important too you know definitely. hey this is something we do because we believe in doing the best eye exam possible. So I know it's pain in the ass, um, but we want you to have the absolute best possible eye exam. So this is part of it. Yeah. I was I was talking to my technician, Hannah. 
what up, girl? Yo, but Hannah. Hannah. Hannah and I were talking about this because she helps me do a lot of the workups and she ends up dilating a lot of patients for right. me. She does the first step and she would brought up the idea because currently at my office, we do not have any sort of waiver for people who don't, who defer or refuse dilation. Do you do that? Yeah. Um, we do have one. Yes, we do. We just have like a AMA type form. Yeah. Against do you have advice. patients fill it out like up in front, like when they're checking in or do no, you do it in an exam not room? usually, but um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, it's more of like a scare tactic. And if it's somebody who's like, really, I don't want to say a scare tactic because that's not really appropriate nor correct. But I mean, you just you just want a patient to really understand and, uh, you know, to have a some sort of um, document that says that this was discussed and the patient understands why it's important, I think is probably, you know, something we should all have, you know. Yeah, for sure. I think I need to put that in place. Okay. Second big reason that leads to doctors going to court is that they do not determine the cause of reduced acuity. Mm, I. That's e. a big one. Amblyopia. I don't yeah. want to discredit amblyopia. It's a legit thing. But if you don't rule out disease and as you're as a di- amblyopia, as we all learned in school, is a diagnosis of exclusion. You need to explain every other option or explore every other option just show that acuity can't be improved before you can throw out the amblyopia code i think joanna carter made up amblyopia (laughs) i'm just kidding what do you think she has to say about that yeah did you joanna did you make that up amblyopia for vision therapy i think you did I'm just kidding, of course. I have to just real quick give a shout out to Joanna. Of course, she didn't make up amblyopia, but she treats the crap out of it. And um, she, she, I think you know we we look at our viewership uh, on on our our podcast, and it continues to grow. So thank you guys for listening. Um, but uh, she is currently leading the pack, I believe. That that was one of our highest uh, netting uh, listener listening shows. So Joanna Carter, Vision Therapy. Guru, uh, we had a great podcast with her, a lot of fun. Anyway, biggest, back to being sued. <laughs> um, I need to talk about a case real fast that has to do with amblyopia, which sort of blows the cover, but I have to do it anyway. 13-year-old girl presents to a clinic, blurred vision in her right eye. Record's pretty unclear on, like, why. Is it recent? Is it longstanding? Don't know, okay? This is a pretty common thing to happen, but the rest is unremarkable, but it, the in the history, they find out the patient's aunt has amblyopia, okay? Best corrected vision with a minus 50 sphere is 2060 for the right eye. This is the poor eye. 2020 in the left, okay? External exam is normal. She's got a small amount of exophoria, normal pupils, confrontations, normal, okay? Fundus exam, normal, as well as the macula. They took pictures of the fundus, also normal. The doctor said it's probably okay, um, probably a little lazy eye. And told the uh, patient because of her age that it's because she's 13, too late to treat this. Uh, glasses aren't going to correct it, so come back in a year. What do you think about this right away? It's weird. <laughs> you right? know, right, right? She's got um, not, no, there's no amblyogenic thing, right? Like, right. 
So that's what I think about when I think of amblyopia. When I and I'm, we have students, so I'm always like, well, what caused the amblyopia? You know, what what is it? You know, so we're we're I think very lucky to have a lot of technology in our office. So we would we would test this girl upside down, inside out, and backwards. We do an OCT. We would do an ERG. We would do a VEP. We would do color vision testing. Um, we would do everything to try and figure out what what's going on. And ultimately, we're concerned there's like a brain tumor or something. You know, like that that's in the back of our head here. Um, but you know, you might even do topography, you know, to see if there's some irregular corneal shape and, and, uh, not to rule that out. Cause you never know what your autorefractor is getting. And, and if somebody has a really wonky cornea, you might just not get anywhere with a refraction, a standard refraction. So you might need to look at the cornea. So I don't know. I'm going in all different directions. I know. Bingo. But- Way to just nail it on the head. So 50 weeks later, about a year later, she notices flashing colored lights. Doctor, okay. Mom brings her back to the doctor next morning ASAP. Vision's now 2400 in the right eye. Left eye's fine. Pupils and fundus are still normal. Send immediate referral to uh, neuro for imaging. Reveal a large brain tumor slightly anterior and superior to the right side of the chiasm. Aye, aye, aye. Doctor obviously reviews the risk. They decide to do immediate neurosurgery. And uh, after the surgery, in fact, she had two. She ended up blind in both eyes. Okay. Oh, my God. So they all these different doctors she's seen. Who gets sued but the optometrist? Ooh. Okay. The optometrist from the, the original visit. Why? Because they had she at the 2060 visit been tested further they could have done a much simpler surgery per the uh, neurologist report and mm. actually they dug a little further found that all of her previous school screenings she had 2020 vision in both eyes <gasps> oh and, boy yep that malpractice no suit awarded this family 9.2 million dollars whoa yeah now so, look optometry is a great profession we're all comfortable life is good but Ain't nobody got nine point two million dollars just laying around. Oof. And she does now. <laughs> yeah, she, she does, does. But she's also blind. So she's also blind. That's tough. Oh man, heart wrenching. But anyways, yeah. determine why definitely their makes you done. think. You know, I makes know. you think. And and I think you know what I take away from that, Roy, is when you don't know, ask for help. Yeah, ask for help. Don't exactly. be last one to see that patient. Hell no. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we're, you know, sometimes, too, I have um, some guilt for doing testing, you know, if it, you know, patients are yep. busy or they're young or, you know, especially MRIs, right? Like, I think MRIs like the pinnacle of testing yes. and everybody thinks oh, it's yes. going to be like a bajillion dollars. And I just had to do a um, peer-to-peer for an MRA, MRV because the patient was having loss of vision and her pupil was acting funny and I'm I'm worried she's got a you know an aneurysm. Uh she had an MRI and that was cool, but we wanted to do an MRA and um MRV and they didn't want to pay for it, you know? So I had to get on the phone and be interviewed for 20 minutes on why, you know, I wanted to try and save this patient's life. Um right. You know, ultimately everything was fine. They got it. But then she calls me back and she's got like $15,000 in, in uh, bills, you know, so now she's yeah. pissed at me. So right. you can't win. I mean, you're practicing standard care. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because number three reason for doctors getting landing in court is not referring and not recalling properly. I think the recall part is an important as well. 
mm-hmm. because as you were mentioning, the practitioner's legal responsibility for a patient does not end until the treatment is concluded or you are referred to another practice and you are taken in by another practice. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, it's interesting. I, um, remember a patient that I was working with, uh, with our retina specialist and she was very bad at, uh, she wasn't very compliant, but she was going blind. She actually had sickle cell retinopathy and, um, some proliferative, uh, disease associated with it. And, uh, she had had retinal detachment and retinal surgery and, you know, vitreous, um, uh, vitrectomy and, uh, just, just bad, bad news, young and, and just, you know, very poor outlook, gle- very glim. And she just was very, she had a lot of family issues and, uh, just not good at getting back. And, she, you know, the, it was like a week retinal uh, detachment post-op visit like she was supposed to come to she didn't come and he didn't hear from her so I remember him saying that he would send stuff certified mail you know to make sure that you know he had documentation that they actively reached out to get in touch with these people and let them know that they are they are doing everything they can to let them know that they are to be in that office for that follow-up for you know the reasons that they outlined in the letter so you know, sometimes, you know, a patient not coming, you would think is their fault. No, it's your fault. Yep. <laughs> it's your fault. You need to let them know, you know, and, and have documentation that you let them know that they need to be in that office. Actually, it's exactly what you're saying. I read a case and I'll abbreviate the highlight of the story is if a patient, let's say you refer a patient for a glaucoma testing, they skip it, don't come back. You don't see them for five, 10 years. Then they come back to a different doctor and realize that they have glaucoma now and they're going blind. You can actually be sued because you did not successfully make the or emphasize the seriousness of the referral and you did not establish a time frame for the referral or even identify a person for whom the referral should be referred to. So essentially you can get sued if you don't really stress how important it is for someone to follow up on some sort of problem that maybe they don't even understand the complexity of. You don't want to scare them. So there's such a fine line on that. Right. But obviously you need to stress that it is important. Hmm. What else? What are, what other tips you got for us? Mistakes that are made. This one's kind of interesting and uh, we've all heard this before, but not offering impact resistant lenses when eye protection is needed is a reason to be sued. So patients monocular, they're really into sports, they're in an occupation where their eye could could get hurt, kids, of course, or another one mentioned was people who had undergone some sort of corneal surgery, like corneal weakening surgery. And one thing that I would just kind of question, does that mean you should write in the comments of all of these patients' charts, uh, impact-resistant lens recommended? Uh, Because what if they take it to another lab? I mean, what if they work with an optician that you don't work with? Right. Huh. I know. What other mistakes? What else you got? Other for mistakes us? is not doing um not doing a periodic health exam on contact lens wares. Okay. That sounds seems right. Obviously. I mean that's kind of tied into the whole dilated eye exam one. Um right. another one that I thought's kind of interesting is to not tell patients about suspicious findings. 
Um, So let's say that, again, like going back to the glaucoma example, they have elevated eye pressure and you don't actually inform them that that's what the case is and that they should actually do a particular treatment. You know, it's interesting. I actually had a patient today and um, it's just such a busy day. Tons of patients. Both the other doctors were out today. So it was post-op day. So I had all their post-ops and then, you know, emergencies and whatnot. And it was just, it was a good day, but busy day. And, um, you know, you, you see, you look in the back of a patient's eye and you see some, you know, variation of normal or maybe some lattice degeneration. It almost becomes mundane. And, you know, sometimes with certain patients, you're just like, explaining this is going to do more harm. Yes, <laughs> you know, explaining know, right? it is going to drive this patient, you know, bonkers. So you, you kind of like wrestle with it a little bit in your head. How can you describe it in a way it's not going to make this patient like totally anxious? Um, right. But yeah, you, you have to, of course, just be straight up with people. I know there is kind of a fine line because though lattice is an abnormal finding, it isn't actually like the risk of lattice degeneration becoming a retinal tear is pretty low, correct? I mean, right. I feel like the number oh, yeah, of totally. the last time I remember is like four percent. So how is that really something that needs to be discussed every time? I usually mention, you know, you have your your nearsighted and you have some thin spots in the inside of the eye that could be a little right. bit more risk of retinal detachment. That's pretty unlikely. Here's what you'd see. Let us know ASAP if you notice it. Right. I expect yeah, to see no, you back think, next year with no problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. Right. There no, is I a fine line. Good. You're not trying to stress people out, but. Right, right. Uh, cool. A couple other things. I'll just breeze through a couple of the other ones. Um, not doing a visual field on children seems like an ominous task, especially for younger kids. But this is obviously something that can uh, help with kids that potentially have a brain tumor. Huh. Um. Uh, another one, not following co-management protocol. So if a patient goes to an opt- uh, ophthalmologist for cataract or refractive surgery, you should follow the established protocol of the surgeon if you want to be part of the co-management um, follow-up. Hmm. Uh, for getting informed consent. So let's say a patient's on uh, steroid medication. Uh, you need to let a patient know the what drugs could potentially cause uh, the adverse effects. So obviously, it's interesting. That's an interesting topic, informed consent. I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but I had it. Somebody asked me the other day, do they think that you need to have somebody fill out an informed consent form for true tier? And and I said no. And and I the reason why I said no is because I thought that you know true tears. It's you know even though you're doing it in the office, it's not really a procedure. It's something they buy and take home. So it's kind of like uh, medicine, right? I mean, do you go through everything in the package insert when you prescribe a medicine to somebody? Probably not, right? Um, right. But you're kind of saying that you should. You should. You should talk to them about the potential side effects and risks with with medicine. So maybe I should. I mean, I usually. I mean, go I do over mention a, things, but I go not over like the whole thing. Of, yeah, I don't have them sign anything, but I go over, you know, side effects include, uh, you know, sneezing. Right, right. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a lie. I go through. I go through the side effects usually. I, I usually breeze through it, and so I, I tell them also that there's a package insert. You should read it for all of the extra details. Okay, well but, there you go. Maybe I that's don't know. covers you then. Uh, cool. The last one I should mention is just poor poor record keeping, and that's a pretty obvious one. But 
But that's the one that scares me the most. (laughs) Honestly. You know, because it's so, you know, charting sucks. Yep. It sucks. It sucks. And EHRs suck and it all sucks. And, you know, I think to like really do a good chart, like you have to really pay attention and you have to really be thorough and you have to really, you know, be typing in a million places. And that takes so much time. And you have to not look at the patient. You have to like really be involved in it. So it's just, it's tough. It really is. And I try my best, but you know, it's, it's definitely a constant battle. I agree. No, it's tough. There's too much to do. Too little time. Just need all the assistance and scribes perhaps one day. Yeah. Scribes may be helpful. Well, those are some great uh, things to think about and uh, some good things that I never knew really, you know, that, that, you know, some of the most common reasons why, you know, our colleagues could uh, end up being sued. Thank God. I don't know anybody who has been sued optometrist personally. Um, I've not, you know, been, uh, you know, the, 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 focus of any suit of any kind and i'm not really i've had had patients mad at me for certain things you know and sometimes you're concerned you know boy is this person gonna turn ugly um but you know i've not really been in any situations like this so i guess if you try your best and and do what you need to do um you know you're you're gonna hopefully stay out of these things but uh, you know from talking to people in the profession longer um definitely talking to ophthalmologists you know you do enough healthcare you're gonna end up having some situation at some point in time yeah i mean it could happen to anyone that's for sure and luckily with optometry it's a much lower percent or group who is being sued but take home points number one dilate (laughs) and number two everyone says this but i do think it's true very rarely do you hear or i was reading several different uh lawyers uh, perspective on this situation and very few patients say hey I love my doctor but I'm going to sue him anyway you know most people that truly think you're a good kind person truly looking out for them they don't usually sue you um, that's not to be a naive and obviously not do your work but if you're a kind if you have good bedside manner the chance is much lower so if you make someone upset plus they had a bad outcome then it's of course going to be higher but. Yeah, then you're effed. <laughs> <laughs> AF. big, big trouble. Big trouble. Well, yeah. anyways, I think that might about do it unless you have any other thing you want to say. This was a great podcast, and I just want to thank you for putting it all together. Uh, really, really good work on this one. And I think our, our listeners are going to really, really um, just freak out. Take a lot of this home and, and uh, you know, hopefully make them better doctors. Absolutely. Well, awesome. Thanks for listening. And before we go, we always like to thank our main supporters, Valley Contacts, not only for the amazing lenses they make, but the great people they are to work with. Be sure to tune in and listen to our next episode. Uh, November starts and we're going to have a cool new theme. So you'll have to listen in to check that out. But until then, try not to blink, folks. <laughs>